Um, and I'm going to speak this morning a little bit from uh, Esther. Um, maybe uh, familiar with the concept. For such a time as this. Um, over the past year, we've probably spoken quite often about the call for us as Christians to rise up. For us as Christians to do justice, to love people, to show mercy, to be a representation of God's love to the world for such a time as this. And more than ever, I don't believe that we can shy away from that call. I do know that that is some of the reason why our church is not necessarily the most comfortable place to come along and just sit if you're looking to, you know, just be attending a church. But I am okay with that because I don't think the church was ever about finding a place to attend on a Sunday morning. Church that the church that Jesus established is about a community of people being discipled, inviting people into the love of God. And so, yes, that's a challenging call, and yes, that means we might miss out on some of the crowdfunding that goes along with being a more comfortable place to sit. But I don't want to fund a crowd. I want to be a church. And I know that's, that's the reason why you're here as well. For such a time as this. We'll be in chapter 4 of the book of Esther. We find ourselves in a place in the story where there is a great injustice in the land. That there is a time where the leaders are not leading the way that God would have them lead. That the leaders are oppressing people. That the leaders have made themselves to be God, to be served by, you know, the general public and interestingly we often talk about this part of the story or we we often tell the story of Esther as a young Christian I remember hearing about it and it was always told from the perspective of gaining audience with the king did you hear it told like that that Esther was prepared so that she could gain an audience with the king Well, if you read the first two chapters, you'll see that Esther's people had the opportunity to have audience with the king, but they chose not to. That the whole premise of the story is that the reason her people came under oppression is because they chose to stand for righteousness and who God was in the face of a society that was choosing otherwise. And so her audience with the king wasn't for power or influence. It wasn't for glory. But her audience with the king that we tell the story about was actually the full circle where they chose to not take that place in the kingdom and bow to things that weren't of God, but chose to pursue the righteousness of God, to reflect his character 
and the audience with the king was so that that could be brought to the forefront, not Esther or Mordecai or her people even, but that who God was would be center stage in the story, that justice and mercy would be brought into the king's house. And so we're speaking out of the place where Esther is being prepared. And there are three, and we're going to be talking about prayer and fasting this morning because about a week ago when we sort of started to realize that we have done all that we can do. And I mean all that we can do. Everything that we could cancel the service for and do ourselves, we're doing. Everything that we could possibly put in place to reduce costs has been done. Every creative financial solution, it's kind of a running joke, but that we could possibly, you know. um, And even God has met us in those things. We had someone walk in off the street to ask if we had space to hire as almost as soon as our tenant left. It was like, I was just wondering if you've got a place available. I'm looking to run an art studio. You know, God has been in it all the way along. But we've got to a point where we can do no more. We are stretched too far, you know, corporately and personally because a lot of us have done whatever we can personally to invest in that and to make that work. And so we're at a place, and maybe this is where God wants us to be, where we can do nothing but ask God to intervene. Literally cannot do anything more in our own strength. And so the next thing that we're called to do in a place like that is to pray and to fast. It's probably something that we should have put the call out publicly. And, you know, we have from time to time had a season of prayer and fasting. You know, prior to Easter, we do talk about that a bit, but maybe not enough. And we've not actually asked the church to join us specifically and said, let's do this together. So we are. Starting next Sunday, we're inviting the church. Uh, Seven days of prayer and fasting, we're asking that you would consider if you're able, and this is something that, by the way, if you are not familiar with fasting or you've never done anything like that, please talk to a leader. Um, Maybe your connect group leaders or one of our pastoral staff before you do that. There's certain things that you should know and things like if um, you're unwell or pregnant or you know any of those sort of things needs to be considered and um, biblically actually says that you shouldn't fast in certain situations like that so um, so we want to talk about that but other than that we're saying would you do that that may not be a full food fast maybe you take um, you know the uh, fast where it's just fruit and vegetables or um, fast you know from um, other things that are distracting and just invest that time in prayer whatever that looks like for you and and talking with your leaders, but to do three days of fasting within that seven days of prayer. 
we'll be doing uh, the last three days. Um, most of the people that I've spoken to specifically about what they want to do will do the, the Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And so if that works for you, then do that and we have the prayer lead up. Um, and if, you know, you're one of those prayer warrior types that does three-day fasts all the time and you want to do the seven days, then go ahead. Um, no one's stopping you, but I guess we're just sort of setting the three-day fast as uh, what we're calling the church to. And um, there are three clear reasons why in the Bible we, um, we're to fast. And actually, Lisa, who was speaking last week, spoke into a little bit um, of the first one that... Um, that is recognition and repentance. And this is where we see uh, es- the book of uh, Esther, chapter 4 um, and verse 1. I'm just going to read this because I'm going to speak um, into a little bit of some of the points here. When Mordecai learned that all had been done, all that stuff going on in the city and the government and the people like I spoke about. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went through the city wailing with a loud, bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate for no one could enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. In every province, wherever the king's command and his degree came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping and lamenting and most of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. So something about fasting that is aligned with a recognition and repentance of where things are at. And if you missed the message last Sunday morning, I'd encourage you to get that. Lisa spoke into what happens when we fast. I think it was, or was it maybe one of the sessions we had like four, but they'll all be recorded that you can listen to, um, where she was talking about how fasting actually physically drives us to a place where we can recognize the mourning or the suffering of others because our own uh, sensitivity to suffering is heightened. And so it works both ways. And if you read through the Old Testament, you see the people of God, they either go to a place of fasting where it leads them to repentance or mourning or recognition or in a period of mourning recognition and repentance they fast it's like it it is one it's kind of inherently connected um you see this again like you read the story in uh second samuel chapter one where the people of god fast literally it says that then god revealed to them it there's something in it um the second reason we fast, and if you read on in this story, it talks about how the situation continues, and then Mordecai turns, uh, comes uh, to Esther and, and explains the situation, and then calls Esther to fast for three days um, to seek God's direction time and time again and it's actually these are one and the same it's as we recognize the suffering as we recognize what's wrong as we recognize the things that are not right in us that we need to correct the things that we need to hand over to God and lay down the things that we've been holding on to that he doesn't want us to hold on to fasting helps to prepare us to know how to do that 
There's something about spending time set aside where we focus on God. In that place of being broken open by the sensitivity to maybe it's the conviction around the things that God doesn't want in our lives. Maybe it's a sensitivity to where things are out of alignment. Whatever, you know, there's something in that that brings some clarity and direction. When we fast, God shows us things. When we fast, we have time to ask God. You know, part of prayer and fasting is not just... And I, I completely got this wrong. And for someone who like barely goes an hour without eating, this is a very, very challenging message, by the way. Yeah, so if you... Yeah, don't... I'm, I'm feeling the pain. So <laughs> you're not alone. Um, but when I first started fasting, I felt like my entire time was consumed by thinking about the food that I wasn't eating. Has anyone else had that experience where it's literally all you think about? And so I had to make it a conscious discipline to begin to invest that energy and thought into prayer. Otherwise, because that would reset and I could go and do some more things and then I would get to a point where I would get completely wound up in the whole like, and what am I going to eat when I get, you know, like, I can't do the restrictive fast like Daniel fast because, you know, where it's like you can eat some things because I spend my whole life finding stuff that I can eat. And so I like, but to reset in prayer. Because there's something about the process that actually brings us I guess breaks us open, prepares us for clarity and then focuses us on finding time to hear from God. God does not fail to speak. He doesn't lack direction or wisdom. We just need to seek it. And the third thing that's caught up in all of that, and I think I've used or referred to it a couple of times, is that preparation. It's a strengthening process. I mean, the very discipline of being distracted by food and then learning to go back to prayer, to refocus, the self-discipline. And this is entirely, like if you've ever dealt with small children, you know that like the entire definition of maturity is caught up in choosing what you might not want to choose at the time, either for the sake of you know your long-term future or choosing to prefer someone else or what's right you know according to you know ethics or morals or yeah so it's like everything is about being able to make a choice maybe not caught up in how you feel in the moment but thinking things through and the process of fasting is like the most fundamental like rudimentary way of going I'm not going to choose what I feel right now but I'm going to make a choice to be obedient to what I've committed to God, what God's called me to in the Word, what you know we as the people of God are choosing to participate in. And there's something in that that actually develops us in maturity, where we can start to go, well, I'm not going to then, if I can choose, even though I really want to eat that, I can choose not to. 
Maybe that means even though I really want to go off at that person that just cut me off, I can choose not to. Maybe it means even though I really want to stay in bed and not go to church when, you know, I can choose to. Maybe it means even though I want to choose to conserve and keep what I have and not be generous with what I've got, I can choose to make a change in that. We stop living completely subject to our thoughts and feelings and begin to be obedient to God. It's like a very practical way of breaking that open and beginning to step into that level of maturity. I want to read from another passage. Because we talked about how in you know, chapter 3, the story begins in a period where things are not as they should be in the world. And so the people of God rise up to say, you know, we're not going to participate in those things that don't look like what God's called us to. And so then the challenge comes to them. I mean, it doesn't sound at all like what's going on in the world right now, so it's not relevant really. But um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I might be living in a oh, way too sarcastic for Sunday morning moment. But I want to share this psalm. My heart overflows with a godly theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like a pen ready to scribe. So this is the opening of this, um, this passage. It says, You are the most attractive of all. Grace is poured out upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Your throne, O God, endures forever. Your royal scepter is a scepter of equity. Your, you love righteousness and hate wickedness. wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. By the way, this passage and the reason I'm reading from it is not just because it's the lectionary text for today. It's actually referring to um, that um, uh, the stuff going on with Esther. But anyway. Um, your robes are fragrant with myrrh, aloes, and cassia. From ivory palaces, stringed instruments make, make you glad. Daughters of king are among your ladies of honor, and at your right hand stands the queen in gold. What is so pertinent in this psalm is the focus not on what is wrong, but what is right. We cannot be the people that God is calling us to be if we don't become those who seek the presence of God and are becoming more like him. And so as the church, as we seek the vision and direction of where God is calling us, it's not for the purpose of, and sometimes we read these passages like God wants to give us glory and authority. No, he wants the world to see who he is. And yes, sometimes that takes the form of public prominence. And sometimes that takes the form of being the ones who choose not to bow to the things the king says. So that the king's officials would see them in the cities, it says in chapter 3, where they're recognized because they don't do what everyone else is doing. 
but it's not because they rise up in anger. It's not because, and there's another passage that's connected. Um, in Psalm 15, it says, Those who walk blamelessly and do what's right and speak truth from their heart, who do not slander with their tongue or do evil to their friends or take up reproach against their neighbours. You can imagine these are people who are seen in their city. Like I imagine these like the ones who are in... Um, in the city that the king's officials see and they live different, they look different. It says, whose eyes the wick, uh, in whose eyes the wicked are despised. And I, I tried to work this out, literally looked at the, <laughs> to try and work out if it's in the eyes of those, they despise the wicked. So as, as in, in whose eyes the wicked are despised. So as in, they see wicked and don't like it. Or, um, in whose eyes, as in the eyes of the wicked, they're despised. They despise, and it works both ways, right? I, could, I literally couldn't discern from the language which one it is. So um, take it as you like, but the potential that as the people of God, you know, people don't always like when we choose uh, to do things, but, um, but then it says, it's, it says, you know, if you read it as those who... Uh, in whose eyes the wicked are despised. We see and don't like what is not right. It says, But who honour those who fear the Lord, stand by their oath, even in hurt. And then it goes on to say like how they do like basically good to other people. It doesn't talk about how angry they are or how they, you know, it just talks about rising up in righteousness. And there is no way, church, that we can pursue the vision that God has placed on our heart unless we learn to turn from whatever it is that is the vision or passion or even the conviction that something's wrong and sometimes, you know, especially when we work in the fields that a lot of us do or are, or are advocating in things that, you know, like for um, you guys in Burma and doing the things there and you see horrific things that, you know, there's this, like, recognition that it's not as God would or those who are advocating for, you know, for the rights of people to seek asylum here in Australia, those of you who are working with young people who see family situations that make, just bring devastation, like you just, like sometimes you get so frustrated at parents that they'd allow those things to happen or whatever, but we don't rise up against those things, but to love, but to honour, and that can only happen as we turn aside to see what God is saying. And so maybe, church, we're being called to stop for a second. Maybe the situation that we're in just requires of us for a moment to turn aside and seek God. And I don't believe it's because he wants to give, go, oh, yeah, no, not that. We're going over here now. But rather that we would turn and seek God and see who he is and where what we're doing or who we are or the things that we're you know, pursuing in our lives where it doesn't quite look like him yet and to bring that back into alignment. And maybe one of those things, and I guess I'll let's call it a um, pulpit confession, but maybe that's thinking that we can put all the pieces together without asking God for his provision. And maybe we can get so practical we forget that God is the provider. 
So we're taking a week, church, starting next Sunday, to turn aside. We're also going to take some time now as the band comes, as we prepare to come around the table for communion. Just to take a moment to turn aside and ask God what of this moment in time, what does he want of us? What is he calling us individually to? What is he calling us to corporately? And how can we step into what he's inviting us into? On a practical note, how can we provide? How can we be part of serving? You know, we're literally in a place where we're going to have to put together a roster to make sure that when our students come in, that the school, the place that they use is clean and, you know, functional enough for them to use. So, you know, we've always had a cleaner on site for that purpose. Not because, you know, we could manage it as a church if it was just about us, but, um, you know, providing space for them, we want to make sure that that's always done. We can't really afford to do that. So um, maybe we need to look at um, filling that gap for a while. Maybe it's that God is challenging us to be intentional with our giving, to make sure that we do that regularly in a way that, you know, is going to make it possible to do the things that God is calling us to do. Maybe there are, um, you know, rosters that you're able to fill in on or um, ways that you can communicate the vision and invite people into because really where we're at, I love who we are and I'd be quite happy just to hang out with the few people I know well and, um, and I mean some mo- if not most, you know have sort of joined in the last year or two and so cool, I'd, like, I'll happily just hang out with all you guys but the vision that God has for us is bigger than just us and it's going to require us to grow stronger as a church And so maybe it's about seeking God for clarity about who we are as a people, sharing that vision and inviting people into that. You know, beginning to ask people to come again. Beginning to have the confidence to say, you know, I believe in what we're doing and this is who Jesus is. And if, you know, if you're wondering about what he's like, come and see, come and be. hand over to James to share communion but as he comes up I just want to pray and would you close your eyes for a moment and just consider maybe what God is pressing on your heart right now I'm asking that he would give us clarity vision hope I pray that you don't go away from this you know feeling concerned or a lack of peace because while you know we might practically have some things that are difficult we can place our trust in him that's called us to this where he leads us he'll make a way so God would you guard our hearts and would you open our eyes you lead us, give us wisdom, discernment, courage, faith, strengthen community, 
Help us to look after each other, to build relationship and to invite, bring people in, to be the people that you're calling us to be. Amen. As we come into communion this morning, I just also want to remind us that the hope we have is so great. Why the needs for this church are so big, our God is so much bigger. Um, that's why Revelation 21 is always such an encouraging thing because God gives hope when it looks so hopeless. Um, and why things are so difficult and for so many people, the hope is great and the vision we have is great. Um, and why things are tough. It's just more and more exciting and more and more hopeful that the hope we have in God, we really need to push into that together. Um, and that's why the table is so beautiful and it's so powerful because it's something we do do together as the church, as a family. Uh, so as we come this morning, um, come with hope in your heart. Come with faith that what God has put in Tara's heart is going to come to fruition. And as we do this together, I'm really excited for what we're going to see the Spirit of God do in this place. So, if I can get you all to stand. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love God and for those who want to love God more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have come for the first time. You who have tried to follow Jesus, you who have failed in following Jesus, and you who have just decided to follow Jesus for the first time, come. Let nothing keep you from love's feast. Let nothing empty this table of its power. Leave judgment behind and receive mercy. Leave indifference behind and recognize God's family. Leave now if necessary and go and be a forgiver. Then run back. Because it is the Lord who invites you. It is God's will that those who desire Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit should encounter Him here. So come. Amen. Amen. Yeah, church, I just encourage you that this is... You know, this can be a bit of a hard time. This can be something that we look at and can be a struggle but you know that's part of the God's birthing something in this church God's doing we just had the conference of renew and the verse was in Isaiah where it's like look now God's doing a new thing rivers through the dry wasteland he's springing up something new but the Bible talks about birth pains, that it can be a painful time. It can be, I know there's many mothers here, you know, that can attest to the, to the real life birth pains. And sometimes it's a struggle as God births something new. And as it calls us in the Bible that we're constantly to die to ourselves, we go through the pain of death just so we can go through the pain of rebirth, but into something beautiful, into something new. Rivers through the dry wasteland. 
walking into everything that God calls us to. So church, with that, we're going to read our benediction together. And I pray that you just put it on yourself right now, this that I preached a month ago of coming and going. Reading this first part of receiving everything that God has called us to as a church, receiving everything that He has for you, and then taking up the call and living it and going out into our communities and loving as we're loved. Church, we've come as we are, but by His grace we are sent out not the same. For in this place, the Spirit that anointed Christ has been poured out over us. He has exchanged a crown of beauty for our ashes, the oil of joy for our sorrow, a garment of praise for our spirit of despair. He has spoken over us a new name, oaks of integrity, and prophesied we will grow into a canopy of His beauty to bless and rebuild this city in His unfailing, nonviolent love. So go, broadcast good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, prophesy freedom for captives, let the blind see, set free the oppressed, live jubilee and forgive, blessing our enemies because Christ has shut the book on vengeance. Go now in His liberating grace that pardons and empowers sinners like us to participate in God's freedom of mercy. And all of God's people said, Amen. Be blessed, church.